Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains and transit, adventures and life hacks, and today, bike infrastructure. Oh, yeah. Yes. Enough of this bike fun. Yeah, we want infrastructure, <laughs> damn it. We've got Chris Smith in the studio here joining us for. Are you? Are is Chris part of the five time? No, I think close working our way there. Four, I think okay, cool. I was gonna say I felt like we were. Wait, yeah. say that one more time. Number four. Number, Number four. four. Well, yeah. we'll have to have you on again. But before we do, we've got a whole episode that you're listening to right now to enjoy. Chris, <laughs> thank you so much for coming thank on you. the show. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yeah. Uh, what have you been up to? Well, at the moment, uh, I am embroiled in a zoning project. You know, and I'm the planning and sustainability oh, yeah. questions, planning and sustainability commission, and zoning is what we do, or one of the big things we do. And we are looking at bike parking. Uh, and actually, we haven't done that in a comprehensive way since the late 90s. So if, if you haven't been able to find a place to lock up your bike, there's a reason why. No. <laughs> We're still working on, like, 90s planning. That's right. This? The, the yeah. ratios of how much bike parking you need to have in development on and when somebody is building a building, uh, have not been comprehensively updated since the 90s. We did a few tweaks around 2010 for some things that were really badly out of whack. But uh, we are taking a comprehensive look and trying to make sure we have uh, a parking program that will support the 25% mode share goal that we have for the city. Indeed. And we'll be getting into what we're at or where we're at, I mm -hmm. guess I should say. Um, but first off, let's catch up. What, what did you do this week, Aaron? Oh, First, I'm, I'm first out of the gate. Yeah, I prepared. You are. No, well, Anna was just here. Oh, nice. Yes. It was really nice. You sent... Uh, it was kind of a surprise. It was, you know, one of those like, hey, I might be able to... I've got a couple of days off. I might be able to make it over. Mm -hmm. and, and then she made it over. Did you show cool. her all the cool places in Portland, <laughs> you know, <laughs> since the last time the, she had been yeah. in Portland? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is kind of lame, but <laughs> we had plans. So, you know, I do the, the Dungeons and Dragons every every Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Today is Thursday. Um, but I skipped yesterday because mm. Anna was in town for like one night only, essentially. And we were like, okay, so let's go to a movie. Let's go to dinner and a movie. Yeah, dinner and a movie. We'll like do typical date night drama, not drama, but, you know, date night stuff. We just stayed in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice we, though. Like so we ordered. Nicholas everybody enjoys those nights Lebanese sometimes. Food. Yeah, yeah. No. You know, and I don't know. There's this part of me that's like, I got to do something with this extra time. You know, I just broke a, a a regular thing that I normally do. I I have all this extra time that I should be like doing something hmm. with it. You did. You had a great yeah. night. No, and it was cool. Yeah, it yeah. was cool. But we were like. Wow, yeah, we're boring people. Just, <laughs> and, it, and, you know, we were cool with it. Yeah. it was. Watched a few episodes of Insecure and, and ate Lebanese food. Nice. I think I think especially, well, I'm not especially anything particularly, but I, that evening or two when you allow yourself to kind of relax, that can yeah. be really nice sometimes. Uh, I think that often we're feeling like we need to accomplish more than is possible within the spectrum of a day or a week or no, a year. It's true. And so to give yourself like just a little bit of a break every now and then when it feels right is is nice, I'd say. Um, how about the rest of you, Rick? Any, any other exciting tales, trials, or tribulations? Um, I went on a long-ish bike ride okay. for the first time this year. 
um, for the first time in kind of a long time, actually. But it's been we've been fortunate that like even though it's been kind of rainy, it hasn't been really cold, mm-hmm. and it hasn't been like you know downpour rainy yeah. either. And cold for Portland, we're talking like fifties to fifty five, <laughs> right. which is you know right. not not so shabby depending on where you're at right now. Um, and I got a good chance to like really test out that that jacket that I've fallen in love with. Okay. Um, Ooh, and I'm curious for an update on your ten speed conversion as well. Oh, it's working great. Okay. Um, I still. <laughs> I haven't done the like small in the front and big in the back yet. I haven't gotten all the way to the very big okay. 42 tooth in the back. Have you done big in the back, but... big in the front? That's a uh, that's a fun one. No. No. <laughs> not not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um but I do have a habit of staying big in the front now. Mm. It's just the two. Mm-hmm. And you know, I get to like some of the bigger ones and you can hear like kind of the the chain not really slipping, but like just sort of really like gripping those teeth. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you. Like it's really digging in. Yeah. Like it's really doing the work. Yeah. Okay. And you're like, you realize, oh yeah, I, I've got another chain ring that I should. Oh doing. yeah, sort of the cross chaining sound. Yes, if you will. Yes. Um, but then you you have that moment where you're like at a pretty tolerable pace, and then you flip to the lower chain ring, and then all of a sudden like your feet are just spinning. Yep, yeah. yep. I <laughs> you especially... kind of Flintstone it a little bit. Well, especially on a new bike, that can take a while to get used to. Yeah. Um, I remember whenever I like up or down a size a chain ring, if it's in the mid to low or low to mid, it seems like every time I wear out one of the surly chain rings the person manufacturing the last one that I had is like no longer making what they did oh. before. <laughs> so you, you get like a little bit of ramp variation depending on if you're growing ramped or not. And then even past that, you're like, it's, it's literally the same teeth, but somehow it still feels a bit different. So right. it's got, the, it's got that break in period. Uh, well, cool. Glad to know you, you got it on there. Cause that hadn't necessarily been the easiest thing you'd attempted. I recall. Um, no, I had to, I had to do a few like, uh, I don't know, workarounds. Mm-hmm. Um, Bring out the old sledgehammer. <laughs> the the uh, rubber mallet. Oh, okay. <laughs> Precursor to the sledgehammer. Right. <laughs> the sledgehammer is like if the rubber mallet doesn't work. Oh, yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. Well, glad glad you yeah. got that up and running. Yeah, no, it was cool. And, you know, by long bike ride, I should say, I think it was like maybe 25, possibly. Nah, I don't think I made 30 miles. Hmm. So I'd not, say that counts. Not super long, but... It well, was long enough. For if, a day. If, if you consider like the metro area of Portland, you basically would have rid, ridden from one end to the other. Well, so I did. It's I, doing pretty good. I started at home, ended like down in Selwood, like so southeast, mm-hmm. and then across the bridge and over the the south waterfront. Nice. And then up into like northeast. Uh, stopped at Gladys Bikes. Mm-hmm. Got this wonderful. Wonderful that very that spiffy wearing. cap. Yes. And uh, for anybody who's not heard about Gladys, had a very rough month in, in December. Bit. Yes. Just a little bit of a rough a month. Bit. But, there, you know, Leah being Leah, she's like super positive about things mm-hmm. and, you know, really upbeat. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We, we talked uh, Wisconsin lore. Um, nice. Is she from Wisconsin? She's, she's from northern Wisconsin. Okay. Which is uh, coincidentally where Anna, a lot of Anna's flights end up. Uh-huh. going and so we started talking about like these tiny towns like Rhinelander and um what was another oh Eagle Eagle okay. Wisconsin these just small towns that have airports that are like kind of federally uh is it subsidized or mandated like these airports have to exist and so therefore like flights have to go 
there and like sky west is the fortunate one to mm-hmm. be doing these flights yeah definitely yeah. nice <laughs> um cool yeah so what you been up to uh i have been up to a couple of things this week i'm so close is to your th- christmas tree still up we took it down yesterday actually uh, it was kind of fun um because when trees start to lose those needles uh it's kind of tempting to try to not lose as many as you can on the tree's way out the door. Uh, so we, we decided this year instead to just shake all of the needles loose and then walk the tree outside and then have like a little needle, needle pile for Nick to play in. Nick is our cat, by the way. Yeah. Um, and a very, very soulful creature. Uh, so Nick got to have a little needle pile. We took the tree out to the back, um, considering doing like a burn pile in the backyard or something like yeah. that. Because we've got some other miscellaneous odds and ends of wood that are starting to pile up. Uh, and it's nice to be warm in January if you're outside. Um, so with that, um, yeah, took the tree out and put the tree stand down in the basement for storage to next year, which is <laughs> right something I've never been able to say before. Um, and then after that, I ended up yesterday doing a bike tag event oh, or, right. or, or such. So I'd say that was my biking highlight of the week. And it is for anyone to, that hasn't done a bike tag before, it's sort of a... Um, you mentioned it last episode. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like, ride around, discover new places about your city, and we just hit 100 tags as a Portland community. Hey, all right. Yeah. So with that, I think once things got up towards 100, um, the, the, the passions kind of came out of the woodwork, and there were a lot of p- quick postings. So I'll see if it sort of tails off after the 100 has been hit. Um, but somebody placed a bike way what i would call is way the heck down in southwest oh yeah Um, yeah. (laughs) uh so roughly like if you were to ride from downtown portland to the bridge up into vancouver it it was a long way down there and basically it's just one of those places where you wind up going up and down a bunch of hills no matter how you try to get there so it's very uh rewarding to finally find the spot (laughs) and to be like oh good this is where i thought it was because i'm kind of tired right now (laughs) uh you've posted well, not posted, but you sent us a few pictures. Yeah, us being Brock and myself. I was live picturing and, you guys. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was like totally lost at at where these places were. You have to mm-hmm. kind of know Portland pretty well. Yeah, the idea uh, with it is that you place. Or, or you would you would post photos of Portland's scape, uh, so it has to be accessible to the public twenty four hours, and has to be a permeable location. So, you, like you couldn't post a food cart if that food cart happened to move around the city, because okay. then you wouldn't be able to find that food cart when right. you needed to. Um, it, but with that, it's a really nice way for people. You know, if you've been around quite a bit, oftentimes you'll recognize the places. I sort of scrolled through the history, and I think I recognized maybe like thirty five to forty percent of them. So there's definitely a really good potential to explore the city in a directed way that's a way which you haven't done so before. And so for me, this was one of those places where I've been down in that area before, but not necessarily to the spot. Uh-huh. Um, and I, there, there's like no cheating as far as like how you figure it out. Like if you figure out where it is, you figure right. out where it is. It's or if you know like where it is, you know where it is. Or, well, Pre- I guess precisely. there's a manifest, but the, there's no map or route. Yeah, the rules are basically like, did you find it? Great. Go for it. <laughs> so with that, um, the poster had uh, included a sign that was kind of like bent into the side of the bridge structure. And I was able that to... That was your clue? I, it at least gave me a cross street. And so I was able to work from there. Uh, um, and so I, I don't know if it's cheating technically. Most of them 
in the past week i've been like oh yeah sweet i know those places but then somebody retags it so we'll see i'm i'm actually very excited to see who grabs this one because so the, it'll be a chance to go to somewhere like new the first to tag what you would or... do is if you find a posting and it's most recent for the one that you know its location you would go to that location take a photo of yourself or not yourself but you take a photo of your bike mm-hmm. and then you would during the same ride during the same session go somewhere else and post a new photo as well so it has to be basically uploaded as two um you can't really cheat and be like aha i found it and then like now i'm gonna take a week to decide where i want to put this (laughs) Um, it has to be done at the same time so i i think what i have really enjoyed about it is um just you know having a way to explore portland in a in a fashion in which i've not done so before so yeah it was fun that 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 wasn't all of my week but (laughs) that was a part of my week um also like one chapter mini story away from refinishing joe kramaski's book oh uh, great the metal cowboy and if you've not read that book before joe was a guest on the show a couple of episodes ago or if you haven't read it in a while um i still really get a lot out of it so i i've been very happy for that upon the writing of metal cowboy um that was like several years ago and he mm-hmm. he was a guest at that time too. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, there's there's a plethora of Joe Kermaski episodes you can mm-hmm. check out at the sprocketpodcast.com. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a he's a fun one to have on. Yes. <laughs> um excellent. Well Speaking we have... of fun people to have on. Boo yeah. <laughs> and um policy, which I always find fun, is Chris Smith. Uh so Chris, ca- catch us up give us the lay of the land of sort of what is happening in terms of Portland's bike parking circa 2019. Sure. So I'll actually go back to 2010 when we did the last bicycle master plan, which called for a whole bunch of things. Uh, Obviously protected bikeway network, which we're slowly chipping away at at producing. Uh, But one of the things that you need in order to really get to, you know, a high mode share, 25% is our goal for uh, all trips in the city uh, is good end-of-trip facility. So if you don't have a secure place to put your bike when you get to your destination or to store in your home, uh, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to adopt cycling as the preferred mode. So uh, bike parking had its own section in the Bicycle Master Plan, and there uh, are a number of components to that. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the types of bike parking. Mm-hmm. First, distinguish parking in the right-of-way, you know, the streets that PBOT maintains, versus uh, in private settings. Uh, so, you know, PBOT does the corrals and the staples on the sidewalk. We're all familiar with those. Uh, this project is not about that. That's got its own separate goals in the Bicycle Master Plan. Uh, this project is about what happens in private development. So once you get past the edge of the sidewalk to the building, uh, what are we building in terms of bike parking for visitors uh, and employees or residents? So in private development, there are two kinds of bike parking, short-term and long-term. Short-term is typically a visitor to, you know, a business uh Somebody might come over to visit you for a few hours at your home. Uh, and then long-term is typically a resident or employee. Somebody is going to have their bike probably there for four hours or longer overnight or store it. Um, so we're looking at both the long-term and short-term parking in private development. So when a new building goes up or when a significant redevelopment is done to an existing building, what are the standards? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we focused on a few different areas. First is just to make sure there's enough. Uh, enough bike parking. So if we look at the mode share goals and you know, how many trips we think a given uh, use type is going to generate. So, you know, we've got uh, a big table with all the different use types from uh, you know, parks to schools to 
private residences to warehouses. You know, we, we got it all covered here. Uh, and for each one, there's sort of a calculation of how much space do you have for a person, whether that's an employee or resident, and then get from the square footage of the building back to a number of, of bike parking spaces. So that has been comprehensively revisited. Um, two different standards, uh, and this is an interesting topic that we'll want some feedback on. Uh, and I should start with a disclaimer that my chair would like me to make, which is that uh, I am speaking as one planning and sustainability commission member. I do not speak for the commission, uh, yes, but noted. You know, this will be coming to the commission in, in a couple of weeks and we'll talk about what the testimony opportunities are. Um, so one of the more interesting ideas is that, you know, there is history and I think a belief that we're going to see higher mode shares in the inner parts of the city that we're going to see out at the edges. Right. And I think we know that, you know, the, the cycling network in say inner Northeast uh, is a lot denser and easier to use than, say, you know, out past 122nd. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, in some cases, just because the streets are further apart, you know, out in East Portland, it, it, it's a little bit harder to get around. So there's an assumption that there'll be a lower mode share uh, in Outer East and in Southwest. So we've done two different standards, one for the inner neighborhoods and one for the outer neighborhoods. Um, and... Basically, if you let's start with the residential standard, if you live uh, sort of inside 82nd, uh, we're going to have uh, 1.5 bike parking spaces for every living unit in multifamily residential condos, apartments. Um, and if you're out past that, then it would be 1.1 uh, per living unit, so a little bit lower. Mm -hmm. And there, there are two different, you know, we, we try and balance these things with equity, right? So equity is the challenge of balancing the benefits and the burdens. And this one's a little tricky because there is both a benefit and a burden, right? So there's the burden of providing the parking, which costs something. It'll make the housing a little bit more expensive, probably. We think in the long run, because cycling is a lower cost transportation mode, that the actual affordability of that household gets better. If you look, combine the transportation costs and the housing costs, the net effect is better, but there is, you know, going in, building the building. So, so how does, how does it uh, make that uh, more expensive, make the, the housing more expensive? So basically the bike rooms are going to be bigger. That's okay. what it boils down yeah. to. Um, but then, of course, there's also the benefit of having access to cycling, right? So right. East Portland, we're going to give you less benefit, but we're also giving you less burden. Is that equitable? Or <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, so it may be a higher monetary uh, burden on one end, but right. you're saving more money by not driving. The benefit over the long term not, is you have access yeah. to lower cost transportation. Yeah. Right. So. Uh, how do we balance okay. that? If we think people are going to be riding less, you know, it, and maybe is that the wrong concept? We should be investing to make sure people can ride as much in East Portland as they do uh, in, in the inner neighborhoods, right. although that will cost more because the infrastructure isn't as advanced and we have issues like the street spacing work on. So I expect some discussion mm -hmm. at the commission on that point. So hmm. um, so first question is just, you know, how much parking and updating those ratios based on the 25% mode split goal. You know, the, the last time this was done in the 90s, the city's mode split goal was 10%. So you can imagine uh, the, the old ratios are pretty low. Um, and we find that in some places like downtown, you know, they're already overbuilding what we would ask for. But you know, my, my concern is not say so much for the software developer who works in big pink, because uh, if he or she wants bike parking, somebody's going to build it for them, right? It's a competitive yeah, market. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I worry about the line cook at a fast food joint out on 82nd and you know if, if he or she can't bike to work because they know their bike's going to get stolen that's a problem right yeah. so we want to make sure we're taking care of everybody 
um, yeah, the market will do, will do well by some people, but certainly not by everybody. So we'll try and to take care of that. And for the ruling, is it, it is, there's a distinction between sort of inside and outside parking, or or I guess the comparison I would make is in residence versus in building parking. Right. So that's probably going to be one of the big discussion points. Um, is where in the building do you put the parking? Do you put it in a bike room, or do you put it in an individual apartment? And uh, it's kind of an anomaly of Portland's old code. Old old code that you were allowed to put it in the apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, most cities don't allow that, but we did for some reason. Hmm. Um, and some developers have put a lot of parking. So if, you know, if you're required to have one, 1. 1.5 spaces for every unit, if you put one of them in the unit, you know, hang a hook on the wall, then you only have to do the 0. 0.5 mm. in a bike room like a somewhere. Bike room. Yeah. Right. So you get a small bike room. Um, all our survey research says people don't want bikes in their apartments. They want them in a bike room. Oh, really? Really? Um, well, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I so, feel like I'm the odd one out here. So I don't, I'm on your, I'm on that same page. So. Yeah, well, I think there, are, obviously there are cases. Yeah, somebody's got person past the one point five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's got you know a multi thousand dollar carbon fiber racing bike. They're probably not going to leave it in a bike room. They right. put it in their apartment. So I think being allowed to have a bike in your apartment is one issue. But you know, saying that's the only place you can put it. I mean, we've seen situations where. They put the hook over the bed mm. or over a couch mm. in the living <laughs> yeah. room. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, and then people get uh, get their damage deposit chewed up because they have to bring a muddy bike into the right. apartment. Right. So you know they wind up ruining the carpet. Bars like rub up against right. walls or right. door jams. Um, or, hmm. yeah. yeah. So we've actually done Peabody has done survey research, and the strong preference is to put, I think, for people who commute with their bikes, put the bike in a bike room. Hmm. Um, Interesting. So. Uh, there was pushback from developers on that. So this proposal kind of tries to split the baby a little bit, and it says that up to 20% of the parking can be uh, in the, provided in units, and the rest has to be in bike rooms. It doesn't have to be one big bike room. It could be many small bike rooms distributed through a building. Mm-hmm. Um, the And that number previously was 50%, correct? No, that number before was 100%. 100. It was, it was, oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, you could put all put it all in uh, individual units if you want. Now, practically, you can't do that, um, but... Uh, people, some developers were putting one in every unit, basically, as a way to get to the goal. Gotcha. Uh, now, the 50% number you mentioned comes from affordable housing. So oh, okay. Yep. The affordable housing developers basically said, hey, we're poor. We don't have a lot of money. We can't afford to do this. And, and uh, the Housing Bureau, in part, advocated for them. And uh, we got 50% allowance in affordable housing. Building. So 50% of the bike parking could be in the unit. Okay. Um, yeah, we think that, or I think, don't use the we because I'm speaking for myself. <laughs> You're good. That's basically You're good. creating second class bike parking for people in affordable housing. Sure. Right? I don't sure. think that's I, fair. I mean, that, my mind went directly to that. Right. Like, why mm-hmm. can't they also have the one point? Right. And and they are most in need of okay. affordable transportation options, right? So, Quite often. Right, we're giving the people who need it most the, the worst bike parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I expect that will be uh, a big topic of discussion. Speaking of bike parking, uh, has the process mandated any safety or sort of design considerations for said parking as it's implemented? Because one of the things I think that I immediately comes to mind is just the number of bike parking spaces which have been broken right. into in Portland, which is, for me, a big reason why I really like being able to bring, mm-hmm. bring a bike inside. Right. So there are uh, a number of security uh, standards uh, in this version of the code. Uh, so the bike rooms have to be secured. So they have to have a separate... They're separately locked. You know, if it was off a parking garage, that door from the parking garage has to be locked. Um, there has to be lighting. Um, 
it has to be protected from the weather, which wasn't always the case in the past. So mm-hmm. you, know, you could you could build a fenced in cage, you know, external ability if you wanted, but it would have, have to be covered. And, yes. Yeah. Down like Gleason near 20th, mm-hmm. there's a complex yep. that it's essentially, yeah, yeah it's essentially a mm-hmm. cage right. for bikes. And there's, I'm like, often I look at that complex and, and think like, I would never, I would never do that. <laughs> I would never <laughs> well, let my yeah, bike out. out that's a case where they had to retrofit it afterwards, right? Because right. that's an old apartment building. Yeah historic apartment building uh but they'd have to cover it right so that's part of the standards it does have to be protected oh, okay from the weather so you have to have a roof okay um, yeah well yeah. There, yeah there is a roof right yeah yeah so so there are standards you have to be able to get the bike to the room without going over steps or anything basically you know, either level uh or ramped or by an elevator mm-hmm. um so we want to make it easy to use in fact so security is one big issue. The other is ease of use and then sort of efficiently parking bikes. So one of the, the statements in the comprehensive plan that we did um, recently that, that uh, goes to bike parking is we want to have parking for a variety of bicycle types uh, and a variety of levels of ability for users. So okay. uh, taking that last one first. Uh, you know, once we increase the ratio to 1.5, which we did in the central city about 10 years ago, uh, instantly all the bike parking was vertical wall racks, mm-hmm. right? Because that was the most compact way to get the bike oh, parking yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And not everybody can lift a bike onto yeah. a vertical wall yeah. rack, right? So uh, one of the things this code says, if you're total parking... Not every bike is even able to be lifted. Right. Like if you've got a cargo bike. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd... I'd I made the jump to an e-bike this year, and that thing's 57 pounds. <laughs> yeah. I, am, I am not putting that on a wall rack. <laughs> um, so, one, so one of the things the code says is that uh, if you have more than – if you have a for more than 20 bike parking spaces, then 30% have to be horizontal. Okay. And that could either be a staple or it could be uh, the bottom level of a two-story stacker. Mm-hmm. Um, so a variety of ways you can achieve that, but 30% of the parking has to be horizontal. And because we know that there are cargo bikes and Bach feats and long tails out there, uh, 10% has to be provided uh, with a larger footprint. Uh, so the basic bike footprint is two feet by six, in, or sorry, two feet by six feet. Uh, in some cases with staggering on wall racks, let you get down to 18 inches, but basic footprint is uh, two feet by six feet. Uh, 10% has to be a larger footprint, three feet by 10 feet. So there will be a place for people to park okay. those bigger bikes or with trailers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that's going to be important. Um, yeah. So ease of use, big issue. Uh, we have standards about lifting bikes. So if you're going to use uh, a two-level stacker, mm-hmm. it has to have a lift assist. So you, know, you don't have to lift the bike up and put it on the oh, top. Nice. It, yeah. it has to be one where you roll it up and then there's a lever. Right. You know, that kind of uh, Like you see approach. them at some department stores mm-hmm. that have the two-level. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's uh, a pretty efficient way to make use of the, the space in bike rooms. So I think we'll see a new level of best practice evolve for how bike rooms are laid out and types of racks that are used. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's there's lots of good examples worldwide, I'm sure. There are. Yeah. Is, yeah. This might be a bit of a rabbit trail, but is there a standard of like uh, materials used for like hanging or, or uh, mounting? Bikes? Um. I don't think we call it the material. We do okay. call out performance characteristics. Okay. So, um, yeah, that's maybe more what right. I'm so, at. you know, there basically has to be a place that controls where the wheels go, and you have to be able to lock the bike to. You know, this is specifically for a vertical wall rack. Um, lock the bike to the rack in such a way that with a sort of a, a typical um, 
uh, you lock, you can get uh, the frame and a wheel locked to the rack. So, okay. right yeah, we tend to go for performance standards rather than specifying specific things because we mm-hmm. know that the market will evolve with what's out there. Sure. For yeah. for your personal observations, personal observations, mm-hmm. um, the old plan compared to the new, what do you think will change within the landscape in terms of the overall approach for the city? Or do you, what do you see changing in um, what would be effectively a positive direction as opposed to its current course with the new changes? So I think what you get now is um, bike rooms are hit or miss. So some people build great bike rooms and they're easy to use. And some people build bike rooms that you can't get to. When you get there, the, the racks are such that they're not really usable. Uh, so I think what we'll get is a more uniform standard of usefulness for the bike parking as well as you know, an adequate quantity to achieve our goals. So um, in the new construction, the parking should no longer be a constraint on whether people bike or not. They'll, they'll have you know, adequate choice to be able to make that happen. There won't be infrastructure in the way. So we'll get out on the street, and then we got to work on the lanes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In terms of, uh, and, and this is just off, off to the side a little bit, I was, it was very curious to see when the Nike Bike Town racks went in, in terms of the public mm-hmm. sphere. Uh, I was surprised to see that a couple of public bike parking places had been removed and then mm-hmm. replaced with. Um, so oh, yeah, it, that was a big to do for it was for yep. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it feels like it's gotten like back into a good spot in that regard. Yeah, I think Peabody came back in and put corrals nearby in some mm-hmm. cases. I think you know, where, where clearly there was an imbalance in distribution between the private and public bike parking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peabody was pretty uh, respectful about that. For the um, proposed zoning code change, I see there's one that also mentions increased options for space-saving racks. So you were talking about unified right. standards. Does that mean that there would be sort of like three standard approaches as opposed to whatever somebody can source? So, um, yeah. So I, as I mentioned, the basic standard, if you're just doing you know, a staple on the ground, is two feet by six feet. Um, once you go to vertical wall racks, then you have the opportunity to stagger um, in one dimension, right? So you know, typically one bike is higher, one bike is lower, so the handlebars aren't bumping into each other. And at that point, we, we let you get down to 18 inches between bikes. And I think with some of the double-layer stackers, you can actually stagger in two dimensions, so they're offset a little bit, and one's a little higher, one's a little lower. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, and I think there's one case where we let you get down to 17 inches. Uh, but again, it's performance-driven. Uh, it has to have the right kind of staggering before we let you get that narrow. Okay. But yeah, we are sensitive that we're going to, we're asking for parking for a lot of bikes, right? So if you, you, know, you got a 200 unit apartment building, we're asking for, you know, 300 spaces and uh, 30 of those are going to be 10 by three mm-hmm. and uh, another, um, you know, 90 are going to have to be horizontal. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we know we're asking for a lot, but yeah. it's important to meet the city's plans for where we want to go in terms of sustainability and affordable transportation. Yeah. Uh, but we don't want to make it onerous where we don't have to. And it's interesting, too, because I, I think like a lot of policy stuff, what it plays out as is sort of overall shift in, I guess, mind share, if you will. Like, for example, if we were in a suburb, it would be perfectly normal to go buy a row of houses that all have um, mm-hmm. attached garages. And so what's interesting to me about the proposals that are going through is that you might be visiting Portland or you might be uh, you know, somebody who's lived in Portland your entire life. But if that's the new standard or if right. you start to see that, and accept it more as a norm. I think that when those plans are made in a way that sort of cultivates that uh, type of thinking, if you will, that it's just expected that we're going to be having it there, that that right. can be a really nice step forward. Yeah, just as you know, 
15 years ago, it was almost de rigueur to have one auto parking space for every apartment you built. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until the recession hit that developers started take, you know, making use of the provisions we had in the code that allowed you not to have parking in some cases. Uh, and now uh, there are very few places where we actually still require auto parking. Uh, you know, lenders and others are still requiring it, and some developers are, you know, see a market need to have it. But, um, yeah, we're talking about requiring bike parking now. It wasn't that long ago that we required auto parking, which is many times more mm-hmm. expensive. Um, okay. yeah. So, yeah, it's a little bit of an interesting political challenge. A lot of cities who did their bike code did it at the same time as the auto parking. So, okay, we, you don't have to build this auto parking, but you do have to build this bike parking. And the developers looked at that and said, oh, we're going to save a lot of money. Great. Oh yeah, we yeah, gave away the that. auto parking long ago, <laughs> and now we're asking it's for a bike parking. To go back. Uh, that yeah. was yeah. probably a mistake. Cart, yeah. cart but, and horse scenario, right? But we're going to remind those developers that you know we don't make you build that auto parking anymore. So you know, yeah, people have to move somehow. So if they don't do it on bikes, maybe we should bring back some of that auto parking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for um, the overall project itself, do you think that there have been areas which portland's been able to learn some really unique lessons from other cities or municipalities in their approach to this yeah we studied uh, a number of other cities um in going through as we had a stakeholder committee that worked on this for a better part of two years um so cambridge uh san francisco vancouver los angeles a few other cities are actually out there ahead of us um so uh, we're playing catch up a little bit you're playing bike tag. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> bike parking tag. But, you know, this is not just Portland being Portland. This is a good idea that right. you know, mm-hmm. other cities other have figured cities out. Other cities have adopted right. this before yep. us. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of, of private, like, this isn't, this is mostly, like, with, like, apartment complexes. Um, now, okay, I'm pretty far behind as far as, as far as uh, my knowledge of, of uh, building codes and whatnot, but that wouldn't necessarily include like some of the more, uh, some of the older, what am I trying to say? Uh, like the, the courtyard apartments, some of those. Right. So again, doesn't affect existing buildings unless you're remodeling. So, um, mm-hmm. oh, so yeah. once it goes through a remodel and there's a right. dollar amount, and it has to be a remodel yeah. with a significant dollar price. It can't just be, you know, Spiffing up the carpets, you have mm-hmm. to spend right, a lot of right. money. You have to spend a certain percentage of the value of the like building. Real structural before stuff. This, yeah, mm-hmm. before this kicks in. Um, but that's an interesting point because we have a simultaneous zoning project where we're re-legalizing the duplexes yes, and triplexes sort of and quadplexes. So, yes. um, and what's interesting is is those the economic analysis shows that where those are going to get built, and it's like twenty four thousand units over twenty years, so it's not insignificant. Will be some of the best biking neighborhoods. It's typically the ring around downtown in the inner yeah. neighborhoods. It's where the economic modeling says that people will have the, the incentive to do the triplexes and quadplexes. And the way this code is currently written, I think it's an issue we'll be talking about is where the trigger is. Um, it's defined for multi-dwelling development, which as the code currently stands is triplexes and up. Uh-huh. So if you're doing a single family house or duplex, this doesn't kick in and we figure you're going to put the bikes in the basement or wherever you'll have a shed. Uh, but once you get into the denser types, starting with you know three units or more, then this code kicks in. Uh-huh. Has there been, because I imagine that's, that's a whole different bureau or, or group altogether, right? Like as far as housing and developing. Uh, well, in terms of the zoning rules, 
Same commission. Same uh, commission. Same okay. commission. Yep. So we're doing the zoning for you know, this. This residential just proves, like you know my sort of <laughs> lack of knowledge as far as zoning and whatnot. Yeah. So we think of of at least for residential zoning in three big buckets. So there's sort of the the single dwelling, which is you know a house or duplex, maybe an ADU in the backyard, and then the multi dwelling, which is where you get into uh, small apartment, ten units, that kind of thing. And there's a little gray area in between, and then there's uh, full-blown multi-dwelling where you've got you know, hundreds of units and then mixed use where you've got both residential and then typically ground floor commercial. Um, so this will really affect all of those except for those single family uh, and duplex right. buildings. Right. But we, it also gets to the commercial. So for example, uh, in this version of the code compared to the nineties, a lot more bike parking, short-term bike parking at bars and restaurants. Hmm. Right. right. So, yeah, so there will be, you know, typically you see it in a big building, you'll see an alcove in the building and a couple of staples in there. Uh, you'll see more of that, those ratios go up. Is the trend going to be more towards like off street or are are we still going to see plenty of like on street as far as commercial? So um, for the visitor parking, the short term, um, yeah, short term, the, the base case is it should be incorporated in in the property line, right? So either okay. you have a carve out in the building or you, you do it some other way that, uh, you got one of those alcoves that you're fitting, or if you've got a courtyard in the building you're building, put the, the visitor parking there. Um, if you absolutely can't do that, uh, you know, if your building literally goes the whole lot line, which you know, some development does, it's very dense, uh, you can pay into a fund and Peabody will put more corrals and staples out on the street instead. But in general, uh, we don't let private developers use the public right away for free. Oh, right. If you're going to shift your burden, you know, out to the public right away, we're going to make you pay for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is a, a in lieu of fee in, in this proposal and current practice that lets you do that. There's also, I think it was, or I was reading, it was two to maybe three percent of, um, I guess, private individuals choose to do bike parking and one or on their on their own dime in terms of uh, mm-hmm. something that's not zoned or coded or such. Right. Uh, but one of the interesting things was Peabot looking at having better ways for art and design and sort of that function meets, um, I guess, aesthetics, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that something that the city sees going to an increase or, or something that would increase over time due to that component? Well, I, yeah, I think there's a challenge. Or right? not the city, but you personally. We, we've, all seen, we've, we've all seen the art racks out there that yeah. look great. And are next to impossible to park a bike. Right, it's so heartbreaking. Right. I want so, to love you, but instead I'll Instagram you and continue on my way. Right. So, uh, yeah. So you can still do that, but you have to meet the standards. So mm-hmm. for uh, the short-term parking, it's typically again the, the two foot by six foot footprint and uh, two points of contact, and you know, it has to be easy to lock the frame and a wheel. So if you want to be artistic, you can still do that. Then great, but you know. Just because it looks pretty doesn't mean we're going to take it. (laughs) (laughs) There's a there's a dentist's office in town. Mm -hmm. I haven't tried to lock my bike there, so it may be possible. Mm. But it's two toothbrushes and then like uh, you know metal dental floss between Uh them, and like it looks pretty secure. But those toothbrushes, I'm like, I don't know if my lock is big enough to get around them. Oh yeah, yeah. Especially if you're playing the like small lock game in an effort yes. to try to make your bike not theftable by certain means, but also others. <laughs> it's a it's a fun cat and mouse game. <laughs> yes. I think um, some of my favorite ones are the ones that look big enough, so you go right for them, and then you realize like, oh, that it's you know 
maybe 5% wider diameter or such. And, and you're, you just get so used to the P-bar racks after yeah. a time that you kind of naturally are inclined to go um, that direction when mm-hmm. it's larger than, or you, like you were talking about with the, the toothbrush, it can be like a bit defeating at the moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> you want to love them. You want to. <laughs> you want, you want to. to. You wanna, it's hard. You give it the good old, like, you gave it a try. And Pat all on apologies the back. To, to this dental office. I actually don't know who this you is. Are, but... XYZ Dental yeah, located at. I, yeah, oh, I have okay. no idea. But <laughs> I, I just see it occasionally. Mm-hmm. All yeah. apologies to you. You tried. Mm-hmm. It's so great. Yeah, there's an optometrist in my neighborhood who has a rack shaped like a pair of yes. eyeglasses. Um, I haven't personally tried to walk up to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to mention a couple other things that we've yeah. done to ease the burden on developers a little bit. So, um, one is to make sure that the bike rooms don't detract from how much building they can build. So, you know, the typical way we we describe how big a building can be is what's called floor area ratio, which you know, means if you have a, a building that has you know, it's two stories and it uses the whole footprint, that would have a floor area ratio of two. Because you're basically getting two times the footprint of the, the building mm-hmm. site. Um, so bike rooms don't count towards the floor, floor area ratio. So if we say you get X number of floor area ratio, you don't have to count your bike room in that. So, oh. uh, so that's a freebie. Uh, we've also said in remodeling cases, if uh, if we had required you to put in auto parking when you first built, built the building, um, you could convert that to bike parking to help meet the requirements. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're trying to be balanced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and I think that's that's interesting to like ease the burden or ease the burden or or maybe um, uh, sort of take away some of the barriers to the developers because mm-hmm. they're going to be the ones that are going to be building this parking. Right. Um, and, you know, once that parking, it's kind of the, if you build it, they will come. Like once that parking mm-hmm. is there, then more people are going to be apt to mm-hmm. using that. There's there's sort of the, I, not two schools necessarily um, exclusively, but that thought of you can make something easy to do or you can make the thing that you don't want to happen harder. Uh, yeah, right. Do you, we do both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have both of those in our toolkit. Yep. Uh, you know, on the make it easier side, one thing that PBOT does and has done for a number of years, but they'll update, is uh, they do a bike parking manual. So they'll basically tell you, you know, this type of rack re- works really well. This is how you can lay out your bike room. Um, so they are trying to make it easy. So those are those are best practices as opposed to requirements, but you know, they try to guide you through. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, should say that you know, we've been talking about this uh, as you know, sort of a uh, unadulterated good right but there there are folks out there who don't don't quite agree with us so you know pba has written no a, i don't believe it pba has the written PBA. a letter for example mm. that says you know well this is a this is a wonderful <laughs> oh, the, idea the portland business alliance those folks yes. yeah mm. our good friends over there it says you know this is a wonderful idea but you know have you noticed that, that the bicycle mode share has plateaued around seven percent so why would we ever build all this bike parking because yes. um, no one's ever gonna bike again what's right. so like after seven percent, that's it. I'll I'll keep it brief. What, one thing that's very interesting is I I just would feel like the knee jerk response to reply. Well, if you stop trying to like keep but car mode share up, then it would be above seven <laughs> percent. You know, like you're you're kind of you know shooting yourself in the foot and then complaining that you got shot. Uh, right from from also, a certain have perspective. Have you ever noticed what how tr- bad traffic is on NATO? 
Nato Parkway. I'll 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 leave it at this. I was very sad when Better Nato went away this year. (laughs) (laughs) It somehow like hurt extra this year. It goes Mm -hmm. it goes away like every Mm -hmm. year after. Well, it's the consecutive cuts. You know, we've we've been cut four times (laughs) now. (laughs) So I don't want to single out. Group, sure, I do want sure. to point out that, that, <laughs> that was me singling yeah. them. That, that, is, that, that wasn't. That was not. Of many, we will be getting testimony from two sides of this issue, sure. and it's important yeah. that the bike community be engaged and get involved. So I talk a little bit about how you can do that. Yeah, um, please. So the hearing for this is on uh, Tuesday, January twenty second. Uh, the meeting starts at five o'clock in the evening. I think the hearing is actually on the agenda about five fifty. Um, so you don't have to be there right on the dot at five, although you probably want to sign up early so you get in and out. Um, so you can come down and testify in person. Uh, if you can't make it down, uh, then, uh, we do have, we do have online testimony. So, uh, the Bureau of Planning has something called the map app, which lets you see all the zoning proposals and process on a map mm-hmm. and you can give testimony there. So I'm sure we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yes. Sure. Um, so, you know, tell us what you think. Tell us about some of these issues. Like, should we have lower ratios in East Portland? You know, how do you feel about the in-unit versus bike rooms? Uh, we want to hear that. So uh, I hope your listeners will avail themselves of the opportunity to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll put it out there. More bike parking on 28th Avenue. We need <laughs> more bike parking. On At least three times more bike parking. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm not actually going to do this. Okay. But for entertainment purposes. Wait, he's yeah. doing it. Create He's like, doing it. several different uh, profiles. All of them, <laughs> oh yeah, all of them asking for more bike parking on Twenty Eighth Avenue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just make sure to use different IP, and you'll probably be fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's entertainment purposes only, folks. Please don't actually do that because that would be wrong. Yes. That would actually be really wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not just in the it, that would... in the tame kind of wrong that we also don't. I think it would taint the civility of the civic process. Yes. yes Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, cool. Well, anything else that you would like to, to no, talk I, about? Or I think we have hit the key Let us here. know. So, okay. Wonderful. Well, I'd, I'd like to ask in terms of rides or, or getting out and on your bike, you mentioned you got a new e-bike. How has that been for you? That has been great. Um, I got it last summer. Um, and, you know, I sort of had to have lots of rationalizations to do it because I've been thinking about getting an e-bike for a long time. But, Ooh, what were these rationalizations? So uh, one was that I would get my partner out riding because okay. she's not really a cyclist. Uh, and obviously, anytime she tries, you know, she can't keep up. I have to ride really slowly. I figured, well, this will equalize things, right? So get her on the e-bike. I'll be on my regular bike. Uh, was worried that, you know, I'd get less exercise as a result. Um, so I sort of justified, well, I'll use it to haul the groceries from the grocery store and you know, sort of those cargo uses. It's, it's actually a, a mid-tail cargo bike. E-bike, oh, okay. yeah. uh, which I got, by the way, from the e-bike store on Rosa Parks. So there's mm-hmm. a plug oh, yeah. to those folks. Yep. Um, uh, and it's, it's just been a joy. Nice. Um, so I still use my old Trek quite a bit when I'm doing sort of an exercise or recreational ride. I do try and uh, ride regularly for exercise. But uh, basically the pattern is that if I'm on my bike to go get somewhere, I'm on the e-bike. Mm-hmm. I just get there so much faster and more easily. Um it's actually easier to deal with traffic if you can accelerate a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Give it a little boost. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. Uh, I am thoroughly enjoying it and using it quite a bit. Nice. And I haven't really got my partner to ride it yet. That's okay. <laughs> One out of two. Ain't so bad. <laughs> it's, but it's great for the groceries. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember. 
where I came across this. I think it was about a week or two ago. Someone was talking about basically reduction of barriers. And mm-hmm. I think that the e-bike, right. just from a mental standpoint, is for so for such a large portion of people who wouldn't otherwise be biking, mm-hmm. I feel like it really is just kind of like the best tool that's come along yeah. to, to reduce from saying, well, you know, I'm going to take the car because of X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. But if you have an e-bike and you know how enjoyable and how quick and convenient, and these days, like, I'm just going to say seamless mm-hmm. to integrate into that pattern provided you're, you know, less than five miles from your destination, yeah. maybe up to like eight or nine, depending on how much yeah. time one has in the day. Uh, I think they just offer such a nice proposition point. If you're not really into the car thing or you mm-hmm. have that times where you don't want to time out public transportation, I I have become an e-bike advocate and I started as one of the biggest skeptics. Uh-huh. It's just been kind of a fun journey. Um I was curious if you had any like preconceptions going into it because you mentioned just sort of feeling that that loss of mm-hmm. something by transitioning. Right. Have, have those fears come to pass? Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm I'm riding my trek less. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely biking more total miles, uh, less I did around my non e bike. Uh, I'm also, I think, pretty clearly using the car less. I don't own a car, but my partner does. You know, I would borrow hers for errands or whatever, and I'm doing that a lot less. Um, Probably also biking now some trips I would have done on transit in the past. So my, my bicycle usage overall is definitely up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about traffic flow? Have you have you felt that you're more within it on an e-bike or that, I guess, because um, some people think, yeah. you know, e-bikes in terms of speed and, and mm-hmm. general, um, I, I've seen both sides argued for that one. Yeah, I mean, I, I still use the greenways uh, a lot, but, um, or, you know, the, the buffered lanes. But there are cases where um, if the best way for me to get somewhere is to take the lane for a few blocks, I am definitely more comfortable doing that on the e-bike than I would have been okay. on my regular bike. Oh, yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. There's less uh, yeah. disparity between speeds. the two speeds. Yeah. 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 Indeed. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, my experience with e-bikes has pretty much only been with cargo bikes, but I got to say um, just having that little, like, quick boost Mm -hmm. um especially if you're the the starting block boost yeah 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 yeah, uh is great um especially when you're in that shared zone like i feel like i'm able to get up and out of the way a lot faster than Mm -hmm. i would on on a you know standard bike yeah my bike has four levels of assist that i usually ride in the second one from the bottom uh, they call touring Okay, uh, but yeah, if I have to take the lane somewhere, I'll put it in turbo and oof. <laughs> yeah, boom. Yeah. easy peasy. Cool. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us thank this you. evening. As always, a pleasure to have you, yes. and appreciate you bringing us up to speed on bicycle parking code here yep. in Portland. Yeah, I'll yeah. just say that you know, we only do this every twenty years, so let's get it right. Yeah, yes. <laughs> or don't or, miss your chance. Or also, let's do the best job we can, yeah. <laughs> and, and the rest is what it is. <laughs> uh, once again, so that is Tuesday on the 22nd of January right. at 5 p.m. I don't know if we caught the location. So that is at the Bureau of Planning Sustainability, and that is 1900 Southwest 4th Avenue. Southwest 4th, so just right across the bridge there. Uh, you know where the, uh, the food cart pot is by PSU? Yeah. Yep. Right across yeah. the street. Okay. Nice. Right. Where where the permits go sometimes. So, yes, yeah, so per- the permit center is in the same building. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yep. So go get yourself something from the food cart and then, you know, go tell your opinion. 
yeah. testify. Go enjoy your civic opportunities. Hey, pick up a building permit while you're there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Uh, would you like to hang around for our news and headlines? I would be happy to. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, before we get into our news and headlines, oh? we don't have that jingle prepared yet, but you know which jingle we do have? Um, it's the one I'm about to play. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love, don't don't ever use that. That's just the one without the music. I like it. It's so it's so raw. Acapella. It's so sincere. <laughs> I hit the wrong one. So that was so what nice. it reminded me of, actually, before we get to our calendar, yes. it reminded me that that sort of soft fall off from his enthusiasm is is close to what Tim might pronounce oh, yes. our sponsors. Lionheart. Exactly. Yeah, I like I can see where that originated out of. It's, you get the genesis yeah. of the uh, progression. So, um, thanks as always to the beer mongers and Southeast Division and Plo. Yes, indeed. Uh, and I am having a wonderful brew doctor. I always want to say Doctor Brew, but hey, Brew Doctor is cool too. Kombucha of the love flavor, and I've called. I don't it know Dr. if it tastes brew for a long time. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. it's. I don't. I don't know if it tastes like love, but it definitely tastes. Like a tasty kombucha, but you love the taste. I would say I like the taste. <laughs> I'm I'm still getting in. It, it's nothing against this particularly. I I just don't know if I've had enough kombucha to tell. Okay. <laughs> so when I when I reach that point, I'll let you know. We'll do an update. <laughs> what are you having, Chris? I'm enjoying an Old Town Brewing Pilsner, which has a a, a subtitle of Pre-Prohibition Lager. So Ooh. I guess this has been around for a while. <laughs> Pre-Prohibition, yeah. Yeah. That bottle sat on a shelf for somewhere for a very long time, <laughs> courtesy of the beer mongers for you. Aaron, what are you drinking? Oh, yeah. So I, I mentioned the Lionheart. That is the Hero's <laughs> Blend, the dry kombucha, not sweet, not sugary. I love it. Excellent. All right. And now to our calendar. Uh, the second Thursday of every month is the Joyful Riders Club in Minneapolis. The second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party. Also the second Friday of every month, the Indianapolis Bike Party. Also, also the second Friday of every month, the East Bay Bike Party. The last Friday of every month, the Baltimore Bike Party. And every second Sunday of every month, right here in Portland, the Corvidai Bike Club Ride. Ka-ka-ka! And hey, our calendar is a little short. Yeah. If you have an event that you would like us to talk about, please get in touch with us at the Sprocket Podcast at gmail.com. Call or text 503-847-9774. Oh, he rattled that off by memory. It's getting there. One year later, and I'm finally nailing it in. And that's <laughs> that's a lot sooner than I, <laughs> I think it was just this year that I've learned. I was doing my flashcards before the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> um we have upcoming filmed by bike tour dates and also a call for entries. And this is a personal call because I'm the one who gets to first <laughs> see all of those wonderful entries. Uh, submit your film by January 20th to be part of the collection. We have oh, upcoming... I would love somebody to have submitted their film because they heard it from us and somehow like work a personalization to mm. you. Like, yeah, hey, Guthrie, I mean, if they wanted to, <laughs> I know you're going nice... to view this. The the nice thing is I get to, you know, no matter the personalization, I always get to say, well, it's the judges who choose the films. That's true. So um, send send whatever you'd like to say. I, I do read them. <laughs> but you still screen them. Even yes. Even though the judges choose them. Yes. Yes, yes exactly. Um, so with that, also on that note, uh, 
I I found um, Mrs. Car Free's Vimeo page during during our outreach, and I was like, hey, you should submit one of these films oh, if you want to yeah. to film the by bike. Um, but it was just you know small world in the bike film yeah. world at times. That's funny. Uh, Boise, Idaho, January eighteenth; Los Angeles, California, January twenty seventh. Hood River, Oregon, February 12th, Arcata, California, March 15th, and our friends in Bendigo, Australia, October 4th, our upcoming traveling shows. And now for... What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. I like my bike, it's fast. It circles around the city lights. All right. So this is from I don't know where. I think it was from Tim. That makes sense. I'm gonna go with that. I did forget <laughs> to have an attribution. <laughs> That's all right. So uh, if it we'll, wasn't, we'll post we'll post it on the, yes. on the show notes. Or on, it was via Brock. Website. I think from Tim. <laughs> DC Metro now allows bicycles on trains during rush hour. Starting next week, Metro customers will be able to bring their bikes with them on the train at any time, as Metro ends a long-standing restriction that prohibited bicycles during rush hour. And I gotta say. I didn't know that was a thing, mm. and I'm very surprised that was a thing. I have tried to do a bike trip, like flying to DC, uh-huh. only to realize that the flight would cause me not to be able to bring my bike like the direction I wanted to at the time oh. that I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you'd have no way to get it from the airport to where I could go, but the bike would have to stay. Therefore, I would miss like a four-hour chunk. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> um, that's terrible. I'm very happy to hear that because then you could you could fly in and um, connect a couple of dots and take metro wherever you gosh darn wanted to uh i think brock also mentioned too that this is one of his major gripes with boston's transportation system oh really boston boston has a ban on the rush ban i don't know this is so surprising to me that like these much larger cities Mm -hmm. that i would figure have have uh i don't know just by virtue of them being larger better uh, public transit mm. infrastructure mm-hmm. or public transit options yeah. that they have this ban on bicycles. Well, it's it seems to be something that's lifting, and I don't know if I clipped this exact part of the article, but to my understanding, it was either in the 70s or the 80s, um, there were no bikes allowed whatsoever. And then there was a brief change. Well, there was a change in that, and you, people were allowed to do, I think it was one bike, but only during a very restricted period of hours. And so to me, it seems that perhaps the... DC authority has started very conservatively and then sort of moved that post over the course of time. So I view that as a step in a, in the right direction. And in that regard, with the improvements that they're doing to the Metro, they go on to say that some of those improvements to the rails um, via what cars they're going to be running over them now have allowed that change to be a little bit more feasible. Okay. Chris, is there, um, is there a, a requirement for, um, well, TriMet, our local uh, bus or whatever, mm-hmm. is there is there something imposed on to them by the city of for like how many bikes? There's a requirement for bike parking at uh, transit centers and light rail stations. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm is old it 1. enough. Point five per. Uh, no, it's it's something like thirty spaces at transit centers, a little bit less at light rail stations. Hmm. 
but you know, I'm old enough to remember when TriMet first put the racks on the buses. Oh, yeah. And before you were allowed to use them, you yes. had to watch an instructional video and get a permit. Oh, you had to show to the driver. Down to their offices. That's right. That's what? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the normalization of cycling is an ongoing process. <laughs> wow. I, I would love if somebody's listening and they still have their their permit somewhere, ooh. their little I can put my bike on the on the lost bus mine a permit. long time ago. Huh. I would love to see a picture of that. Post your picture. Wow. Twitter I, and Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. It conjures memories of the first time I put a bus or put a bike on a TriMet bus because it can actually be a pretty nerve wracking experience. Uh-huh. Like if you've not done so before, um, yeah, I feel like if you ride the bus any amount of time, you definitely see a wide variety of approaches to that um but you know what becomes old hat after 10 times is a little bit hard to approach it the first so i wonder if there's that person out there that really was like oh thank goodness i can watch a video i can get permitted (laughs) like i'm gonna be so pro at this and then got sad when it was taken away (laughs) probably not but if you were that person let us know (laughs) i wonder if you could still watch the video somebody must put it on youtube oh i'm sure i love some of the releases uh from like fairless square or the older trimet videos Uh those those can be fun to take a dive on sometimes <laughs> from pathless pedaled why we decided to stop traveling endlessly a youtube video that we yeah. won't be able to play on the podcast but we do recommend to it. yeah yeah and if you've not heard pathless pedaled um has gone a little bit away from blogging and a lot more into a youtube channel and weekly slash daily video production yeah no they're they're kind of diving into the podcast game booyah i, mean, I don't yeah, I don't think that's misspeaking. Like that, what they're doing is kind of podcasting or yeah, is podcasting. Yeah. I think Russ yeah. put a feeler out about what what's the appropriate uh, download count per week is ah, to start start yeah. looking for sponsors or such. We we find that you, we haven't got our generous yet. Patreon donors, <laughs> have been our best sponsors in addition to the beer monger. So thank you for your support over the years. Um, in this video, I think the reason why Brock specifically sent it to us is if you get a chance to watch it. It is a really interesting lens by which to sort of look at nomadic versus sort of uh, stability-focused lifestyle. Uh, you, you give up a lot to do either. And I think that through their experience bike touring for so many years, that Russ and Laura have a really unique perspective on that whole thing. And it was really fun for me to watch it from the personal perspective of knowing them for so long uh-huh. or knowing of them for so long before I knew them at first. <laughs> and, and so a lot of what they say in that are a lot of, sort of that that feeling out of sense of place is what i would call it um and they describe it as you know some people are sailors and some people are farmers was the advice uh imparted to russ when he first started out on the road by a friend of his yeah. uh you know and you can be both uh but it's it's good to know which one you are <laughs> depending on what you're doing yeah this is very similar to um tim whose last name i am forgetting now uh, Liz, a supporter, and mm-hmm. um, actually has been on the show. So I'm sorry, I forget your name. Uh, <laughs> but mentioned like the the farmer explorer kind mm-hmm. of uh, metaphor mm-hmm. as well. Like there's people who are out there that they just they need to travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, gotta scratch the itch. They gotta scratch that itch. And there's people out there that that just need to be like uh, I don't want to say static, but like uh, more in one place. Yeah. You know? I feel like with that comes a really nice way to dive in and and show sort of an intentionality towards community. And I feel like, especially in a digital age, that's something that can be sort of nebulous at times. And so one of 
one really great way to go towards that or to to work towards that is to stay in one place for a long period of time. I, I personally find myself about 60% in each category <laughs> and that the 60% sort of overlap between 40 and, and 60 there. Um, I, I like the idea of having a base of operations. Okay. I, I love travel. I love going to places. Um, I've done a lot more like more standard travel than actual bike travel mm-hmm. in my life. But regardless, the thing I seek out most, no matter where I go, is like, okay, so where is like headquarters? Mm. Where are we going to like do all of our planning and stuff like that? Yeah. And then we're rarely actually at that place for more than just like sleeping and, mm-hmm. or, or eating. Or it's almost like the place can exist even in a state of mind, but you need to have a place. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah, even camping, you know, uh, you know, you go out and camp like that spot is your headquarters for the night or mm-hmm. it's my headquarters for mm-hmm. the night yeah indeed um yeah if you've not watched the video if you've done any stretch of bike touring it's totally worth a watch yeah, uh it's, totally. it's worth your seven minutes i think i, I would describe it as very sage-like advice from russ so and path less pedaled we wish you all the best i know like whatever you guys decide to mm-hmm. do, you're just gonna be amazing at it because that's what you guys do yeah they already are (laughs) (laughs) cool well that brings us to the end of our headlines section up next we got mail hey we got mail and tim mooney via twitter writes in local business asserts pressure claiming its parking is more important than bike lanes (gasps) uh crying smiley face well i don't I don't emoticon. <laughs> what, what? So, like, what do these emo- so, emoticons mean? It could be like I'm laughing so mm-hmm. hard that I'm crying, or it could be like this is so sad that I'm crying and laughing at the same time. I, I find that when I try, I just like trip over myself and faux pas. Like the eggplant symbol, I probably sent to at least thirty or forty <laughs> different individuals <laughs> before before my roommates who also received my eggplant text because I'm like, oh well, we're gonna throw a pizza in, we're gonna throw a plate, we're gonna throw an eggplant. Like we're just like getting all the the things that one would eat together because we're talking about dinner. That makes sense. Uh, so so I've well, taken my hat out of that particular I, room. On the subject, <laughs> be careful how you use the peach as well. The right? peach? Yeah. No fruit is safe. <laughs> nor vegetable. Fruits are vegetable, not safe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's hilarious. I. So um, it goes. <laughs> this is a bit of a tangent, but um, the new theatrical or movie version of Fahrenheit nine one. Not Fahrenheit 9-1-1, sorry. That's 451? Michael, yes, Fahrenheit 451, the Ray Bradbury novel uh, starring Michael B. Jordan. It's kind of plays off the like the emoticon culture. Really? Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. There's um, it, I, I appreciate emoticons to the degree that they can be sort of looked at as a facet of society uh-huh. uh, in the way that emoticons have sort of evolved from the smiley, like, uh, colon like left or right left bracket. I still like using those occasionally. Oh yeah, that's yeah. I stick to those. I'm old school. There's a, uh, <laughs> there's a, certain, there's a certain level of yeah. creativity involved with those. Well, it's interesting to me because like you could actually have emoticon languages, and that's that's a thing. Oh yeah. So just where it's going, I don't know, but keeping up on the journey at certain points has been enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no more eggplants to anybody. <laughs> But um, oh yeah, so Tim, Tim Mooney, sent us a tweet. To Tim he <laughs> sent us a tweet. Um, 
with his it's a link. I don't mm-hmm. think we'll be able to get to that. Well, I don't think no. we will. No. Uh, so I did a bit of reading on but, this one, yeah. and essentially, there's a proposed uh, bridge that will go over the train tracks and the TriMet station that's down near 12th and Division, very close to our sponsor, the Beermongers. Uh, and so, what the the content or what the consternation is, I guess I would say, is the business in question is. Uh, it, it, as long as I was looking at the right business, a cinema supplier. And so if you look at any major budget motion picture film that's produced in the Pacific Northwest, if it's rented south of Seattle and north of San Francisco, they probably they got their there. camera equipment from this person. So the the only like bone I would throw in this case is that there are definitely going to be 18-wheeler trucks that are trying to get access to that space from time to time because they're going to be loading up a whole production suite and taking it somewhere across Oregon or the Pacific Northwest. And so I think that maybe in this case, um, I hesitate to throw that company completely under the bus because I think that they probably have some some rational concerns. That being said, what I am a bit um, upset about is they didn't necessarily come out of the gate from my impression about being willing to work with the situation or maybe find something that could be construed as a middle ground. I was going to say, like, is there room for compromise yeah. here? Yeah, I think yeah. there is. And I think there probably will be. Um, but but maybe it didn't get out that gate that way at first. <laughs> I see Chris nodding his head. Um, yeah. So if you have thoughts, there's Twitter. But... Yeah, I, I will wait and see and monitor. Hopefully it will be resolved uh, yeah. without fuss and we'll get to watch cool films and also... And also have good bike Have excellent bike infrastructure. I, I often go down to like a numbers game of like, well, how many people would use that bridge versus how many vehicles would need to pull into that parking lot. But that's just me. Versus how many films are we going to miss out? Exactly. Uh, anyways. It's hard, uh, <laughs> it's hard to see it if it wasn't shot on a camera. So yeah, there there's that argument. <laughs> Uh, we have Scoot Scoot News from Brock. Scooters are now allowed in bike lanes and on the street in Denver. You can only use them on sidewalks if street speed limits exceed 30 miles per hour and no bike lane exists. But it's there. Yay! I'm all I'm I'm like all in on scooter mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I I was kind of like I wouldn't say I was on the fence. I was pretty pro scooter. I feel like we came out of the gate pretty early on like a pro scooter decision yeah compared like, to I like some, this, but some let me wait in yeah yeah you know and now i'm like i'm diving in the deep end mm-hmm. i still haven't ridden one but i'm all like <laughs> i'm all for it well it's kind of funny because we, we were talking about e-bikes earlier and i can yeah. honestly say if i've not had that much much if i'd not had that much exposure to e-bikes and e-biking i probably would have come a lot harder down on scooters yeah uh so i think that act- I that actually shifted my perception a bit off, on the issue this would be a great survey of like pro versus anti-scooter people and how much experience have they had as correlation too yeah Yeah. there's a correlation yeah i would be curious to see i think for me it definitely like once i saw an e-bike making sense why wouldn't an e-scooter make sense right like they're they're both great tools for um urban travel e-bike deals with potholes a lot better (laughs) (laughs) exactly no 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 uh 700c wheels on the scooter that is for sure (laughs) i have seen some people take um some tumbles but you know you you weigh that uh Mm -hmm. i guess you weigh that social cost against the benefit and for me e-bikes come out ahead or e-scooters as well uh we've got news from noah s who is planning 
to visit Portland. Um, and he says, I've been a listener for a few years now and discovered your podcast via Tim Mooney. Thanks, Tim. Yay! And Pedal Shift. I live in Chicago and am into cycling, hiking, and enjoying life. I play the banjo and sing on a couple of old-time jazz bands. That's awesome. Uh, so he's he's looking to do an itinerary. I've got a banjo for you to, if you ever miss it while you're in Portland. Nice. You can... You can jam a little. Get the banjo hookup. Yep. Um, he's he's soliciting a little bit of advice, I, I think, from us, but I feel like our listeners, our listeners are pretty savvy can, as well. Yeah. Uh, I so think they can chime in yeah. to us, and then we can send it on. If to you write Vanilla. us more letters that we can I read next week. A, I sent him a big, long email. Oh, did you? Okay, cool. <laughs> I had like, I had a reply pending. So like, I'm hey, glad. you know, here's some things. By the way, Noah, you could not be visiting Portland at a better time. Mm-hmm. June, yeah, Pedal Palooza. He you asked are, if there were any bike you are rides. A lucky man. Yeah, there will, will there, be bike there rides. There will be bike rides. <laughs> Maybe even some bike rides Name you didn't your expect. Interest. We can have a Noah ride bike ride, yes. a pedal a pedal palooza ride. <laughs> like you, know, you, you want a bike rides, I you get bike rides. Like, I I'm just visiting Portland bike rides. If there's not, boom, it's gonna uh-huh. happen now. Yeah, get some fresh ideas in there for Pedal Palooza. Anyways, listeners, do you have any advice that we should pass along here to our friend Noah? Uh, he says a trip to the beer mongers Excellent. on the itinerary. Like to rent a Brompton. Clever cycles, of course. Uh, Multnomah Falls. I came down not not super hard, but I came down quite opinionated on mm. it. Not against. I feel like just, Multnomah just Falls. when you should visit. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you. Um, Multnomah Falls, I think, just by nature of living close to Multnomah Falls, like you kind of are forced into an opinion one way or another about it. <laughs> like, yeah. You've definitely got to draw that line somewhere. Yeah. Um, and I had asked you uh, if it was possible to bike out to Multnomah Falls yet, because I know there was still some closures mm-hmm. along that Yeah. That to, area. To, to my understanding, and I'll caveat this with, I might be wrong. I, I feel also as though I saw that they had opened the stretch between Multnomah Falls and Vista House. I could be wrong about that. Oh, that um, so but I think that is the last update I saw. Down. There there are still closed sections, but I believe, to the best of my knowledge, that they are further east. Right on. Uh, Cannon Beach and or Goonies. Mm-hmm. Um, PDX Coffee Outside every Friday. Booyah. Also during Petalpalooza is breakfast on the bridges every friday yeah so again you could not be visiting portland at a better time mm-hmm. uh, and he says he'd like to go on fun social rides well, well. we've got a couple <laughs> of those you just no no is looking for advice but in reality he just picked the right month right. to visit portland <laughs> for all of the things looking to do um another one about the goonies too is look up the date that the movie came out because every I think it's either every year they have a decent celebration and then every 10 year um, Astoria just has a huge Goonie celebration. So I don't know if it's in June or not, but if it is, that day would be a good day to visit. And I can't remember the URL, but there is a site that like lists all of the like particular, like there's a bowling alley that was featured. in. Oh, like the film locations. Yeah. Okay. Like, and it's mostly in Astoria, but uh, Cannon Beach, Haystack Rock is Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit south of Astoria. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, Thanks for writing in, Noah. Yeah. I hope the advice is useful, and maybe next week we'll have some more. Uh, Miel sends us... Miel, sorry. Yes, our guest (laughs) from the other episode. From last episode. last episode. (laughs) He sends Philip's first ride photo in Forest Park. Yes, go Philip. Woohoo! 
yeah, and Philip is champion championing up those hills. Uh, looks very satisfied in his completion and congrats on getting out into some gravel perhaps it will continue to feed that desire to push the boundaries i almost did fire road five uh yesterday actually you did yeah well because i was doing the bike tag thing and i was like i wonder you know if there's any good stuff up in forest park to tag at i ended up just getting thrashed by southwest um but in a in in the fun kind of way easy to do well so There's I kind of a lot of hills around in that small area. Though. I think I made it harder on myself than I needed to, because <laughs> I, I like knowing how to have direction without needing to look at a map or resources. Like I, I appreciate knowing where I am in the world at at any given point in time. And so for me, part of the challenge of Southwest is really drilling that in. And so I learned that if you take every road that goes down, even if it starts pointing north, they typically end south. Uh, So um, I I ended up doing like a zigzag series of, you know, let's climb up to 500 feet. Okay, let's go down. Nope, that goes south. Let's climb up to 500 (laughs) feet. Climb up again. Do do that five or six times and you've got a tired Guthrie. But it was enjoyable (laughs) and I, I learned a lot about the area. At least it wasn't the summer and you ran out of water. That's true. There was one point where I had this moment of uh, clarity and I was like, oh, I'm starting to recognize where I am. Like that house looks familiar. And then I realized I was biking by my friend's house. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I know where one thing in Southwest right. is. I'm working on a couple. <laughs> um, and we have also Keith from Indianapolis who was left us a voicemail and then left a follow-up voicemail. Oh, snap. As he was live voicemailing the episode, which I actually really I enjoyed I having both of those voicemail. in. And appreciate Keith reminding all that Indiana is the 19th state. Oh, right. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can't get that voicemail and play it. Sounds good. Keith, Pocketeers, is Keith from Indianapolis, and I'm playing catch-up. So I'm in the middle of the 10 Mooney show from December 19th. And in answer to your question, the 19th state is, in fact, Indiana, my home state and where I'm sitting right now. Uh, Anyway, have a great day. Thanks. And it was on the 19th that we were wondering. Yes. That is the 19th state. That it is. Indiana, we will never forget you. You will not be forgotten. Uh, we also got uh, a correction mm-hmm. from our Department of Corrections, Josh G. Dig it. Josh says, seventh is not a done deal, as Guthrie had said. Also, I met Mile on a Tom Howe ride. Oh, Tom Howe yeah. from Puddle Cycle. Kicking it together. Thank you, Josh. Uh, I always appreciate when people write in with corrections because I fully acknowledge that everything I say will not necessarily be true (laughs) uh so with that thanks for keeping my feet to the fire you've given me a new reason to be reinvested in that project um i had misread i think i scanned a bike portland headline uh earlier last week and i scanned it wrong so thank you for that correction uh he goes on to say from pbot um they're continuing well (laughs) should i ask the source (laughs) uh they're continuing to meet with neighborhood or neighbors and community. They're co-hosting focus groups and working with safe routes to school to identify safety needs in the affected districts um, and appreciate ongoing participation. So if you're interested in participating in the future of a bikeway on Northeast 9th Street, you can go to portlandoregon.gov slash transportation and type in L2W. That'll put you on the project. All right. Um, we got a text message um, that is not on the notes here. And hopefully, Guthrie, you can decipher this one. I'll do my best. I'm not sure what this is in reference into. Okay. Uh, 
um, I do believe this is from last episode, and it says, "Damn it, Guthrie answered it in the calendar." Oh yeah, so I um I looked up Indiana, and it is the 19th oh, state, okay. which we found a little bit later. Oh, and that is also that is also key. But sometimes okay. it's nice to have reiteration, and I feel like this gave us an opportunity to really drill that home. So still still appreciate the voicemail. Always appreciate. Yes, yes. thank you so much. Um, and lastly, for our mail. We have Bike Life in Japan via Paul. It says, greetings from Tokyo, Japan. I wanted to let you know that you have another listener in Japan. I have to be honest, though. Yeah! I don't listen to every episode. I don't either. Because hearing about <laughs> all of the cool bike stuff in Portland gets a bit depressing when I think about all of the Aww. cool stuff that I don't have here. I am a regular listener of the pedal shift project it's only slightly less depressing than the sprocket podcast <laughs> i love that anecdote <laughs> I that's heard... our new tag by the way slightly the like sprocket podcast new sticker slightly less new sticker depressing. <laughs> i heard <laughs> thank you <laughs> or more i guess we're more depressing than the pedal shift Something. Right? <laughs> that's that's got to be how it works <laughs> i heard you guys would like to come to japan i would um when you come by, drop me a line. I would love to ride bikes with you. Keep the rubber side down, Paul. Yes. Paul, I've got a friend who lives in Japan right now who also lives in Tokyo and just moved there three months ago. He is looking to buy a bike. Maybe you two would like to take a ride together. I'll send you an email. Um, and thanks for letting us know how life in Japan is going. I know that it can be a bit difficult being in a space that doesn't necessarily have the same style of biking as one would want or is accustomed to um but i feel like when you look hard enough there's in my experience always something to plug into so keep keep on the rubber side down and yes. the eyes up for those opportunities i know when i moved to hawaii i wasn't really biking i didn't bike much until i moved here but when i moved to hawaii like just the general way of life and wanting to do things like the way i used to back in the mainland i think was one of the more heart hard lessons to like to like figure out and realizing like like oh i may not be able to like play or like do a jam session with the people that i used to do a jam session with mm -hmm. but i can sit in on on this other thing mm -hmm. that that people are doing you know that is still like up my alley mm -hmm. you know they may not necessarily like like the style or the way that i'm playing I guess what I'm trying to say is it may not be in the way that you're used to looking, but if you if you look hard enough, I guess I'm just repeating what you just said. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're totally good. <laughs> I was enjoying the ride. Yes. You're good. Yes. Well, in that case, we both agree. <laughs> yes. You can't uh, you can't bike Portland style in Tokyo. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. Create Tokyo biking scenes that you want to see. Um yeah, keep 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 on keeping on, Paul. We're, yes. we're thinking about you. Um, and now, oh, Brock's suggestions are long Ooh. rides, neat, cool destinations, and bikey people groups. They exist. They have or they've to got exist to there. exist. Yes. Indeed. And if you get really, uh, you know, like you, like you want a bike no matter what, I hear there's some really nice folks who cook a darn good rice meal and might might just invite you in. It's a ways out in. of Tokyo. J just scuba, a ways. But... Um... <laughs> It's one of the things that I've been looking to is getting to Scuba from Tokyo because mm -hmm. that's sort of the, the closest airport there. Yeah. So, anyways, I might have some advice for you, but also, you can make it. You can do it. Well, we've that's reached it. We've the done end. It. 
Thank you once again, Chris, for coming on the show. Thank you very much. Yes, always, always enjoyable to have you. Always informative. You know, you talk about like being corrected and the upside of like, like someone sending in a correction or like finding out you're wrong is like, oh, I've learned something, Mm -hmm. you know, and anytime it's worth noting, anytime Chris comes in, he's always got handouts for us. Mm -hmm. You go (laughs) back. Not necessarily homework assigned. But I go, I go home and I, I like read these and then I go down the rabbit hole of infrastructure and I realize like how little I know. And again, like the upside of that is like, then I'm learning something. Mm-hmm. We come away more informed and better for the experience as always. Thank you, Chris. Happy to educate you. Shall we play the outro? Yes. Let's do it. The Spark Podcast is produced at StreamPDX Community Audio Studio thanks to the generous support of OpenSignal. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Hey, you cheated and read it. Twitter and the Instagrams <laughs> at Sprocket Podcast. I actually tried to look away and yet I couldn't. <laughs> thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurt Bird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Logan Smith, Shadowfoot, Katharina Mellengard, Wayne Norman, Ethan Georgie, Eric Iverson, Cameron Lean, Richard Wazenski, Tim Mooney. Thanks Glenn, for writing in. Yes, thank you. Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weiss, Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt. Todd! Ooh. Todd Parker was the guy that I was thinking of earlier. There we go. Thank you, thank Todd. You, Todd. Uh, Dan Gebhardt, who's, who's a, a time, time traveler. traveler. Dave knows. Chris Smith. Oh my gosh, he's right here. <laughs> Caleb Jenkinson, J.P. Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, thanks for coming over, Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who's sitting across from me? Oh, yeah. Aaron Green, we're <laughs> author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Reed Granary. Campsite, McNurse David, Nathan Bolton. Chris Rawson, Rory in Michigan, Nate, Michael Flournoy. Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman. Harry Hugo, EJ Finnerin, Brad Hipwell. Thomas Skato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom. Thanks for the mail, Keith. Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam, Derek Wagner. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron, Chris Barron. Chris, Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon, Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan Morrow, Jimmy Diesel, Dude Luna, Matthew Ricks, Marshall at Marshall, Paula at Funatake Cyclecraft, (laughs) Philip M, Spartandale, no relation, Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative, Kiwana, and... He did it! Yeah, third time's a charm, and Sarah G. And all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now brush your teeth. And go to bed.